Hey everybody, Sam Ellinger here, sports columnist with the Kansas City Star. I'm grateful for you listening to the 77th episode of the Mellinger Minutes for Your Ears podcast. We're going to be worth your time again this week. Uh, we got questions, as you probably would expect, a lot about the Chiefs. And the uh, the bonus section is also going to be about the Chiefs. We're starting this show off a little bit differently than we usually do. I usually have a, um, you know, basically like a column here at the top that I write ahead of time and, and, and do all that. But... And I thought maybe this week it would be about Odell Beckham Jr. or, I don't know, some Royals thing or whatever. But you you guys may have seen the news this morning. I'm recording this on Thursday. Um, but the news this morning that, that Art Stewart passed away. Art is, uh, I mean, literally, he, he, guys, he is one of the best people that I've ever, ever known. Like he... It is not hyperbole to say that he changed my life in a lot of ways. I got to know Art really well, covering the Royals. And just to be around someone who has such full joy for what they do for a living every single day, even through you know some really rough seasons, uh, some really great seasons, Art was always happy. Art was always grateful for the opportunity to be around baseball and to be around the people who love baseball. There is not, I was thinking about this today. Art Stewart worked in professional baseball for 68 years. And baseball is a very, it's a conversation culture, right? It's storytelling. It's it's standing around the cage and, and t- telling old stories to you know make people think or make people laugh or whatever. Art Stewart probably had more conversations than just about anybody in America over these last 68 years. And I just can't imagine any of the people that he had those conversations with did not walk away from that conversation just smiling, feeling a little bit better about their day. It, he just, he had a gift, you guys. And and some of you listening to this uh, know Art. And, and if you do, you are nodding your head. At everything that I'm saying here. And if you don't know art, I hope that you know somebody like art because I think people like that are worth their weight in gold and um, and they make they make the world a better place. He just, you know, art, I always thought this was telling of art. He'd always say, I was born on Babe Ruth's birthday, the year he hit 60 home runs, which was 1927, by the way. The man was 94 years old. And I just thought like introducing yourself <laughs> kind of that way just said a lot about the man, you know, he wanted to make you smile. Being born on that date was important to him because it was, it was a connection to baseball. He'd always say that, that his mom uh, used that fact to tell him that he was always meant to be in baseball. Art didn't grow taller than five foot six. He was a small man with a big voice, a twinkle in his eye when he told a story. A lot of love in his heart, but he was a small man. But he never saw it that way. And and I think that he was like the biggest guy in any room that he went into. You know what I mean? He had a way of commanding a room without it being egotistical. Art was never egotistical. It was never about him. He got a lot of attention, um, at least relatively speaking, compared to other scouts. But he never... <laughs> I don't think I ever heard him tell a story where it was about him. He was a character in a lot of his stories, but I don't think that there was ever a story where the purpose of it was for him to tell you what a great scout he was. 
You know what I mean? The purpose of his stories was to tell you something about baseball, the great game, he always called it. He wanted you to know more about baseball. He wanted you to love baseball the way that he did. Or maybe the story was about somebody else's accomplishment, you know, some uh, a great scouting job that somebody else did. He loved telling the Bo Jackson story. but and, and he loved telling that story because the story was about Kenny Gonzalez, who was the scout for the Royals that just stayed on Bo and, and got to know his mom and built trust. And that's the reason that Bo became a Royal. I sometimes I've wondered, and, and you guys know my thing with Bo, right? Uh, the athlete of my youth. Sometimes I wonder if Kenny Gonzalez didn't exist or if Kenny Gonzalez didn't have the relationship with Bo's mom that he did. I mean, the easy thing is to say that Bo would have played somewhere else. I don't know that Bo would have played baseball. He loved baseball. And I think he wanted to play baseball, even when people didn't think that he would or even should. But I think that he signed with the Royals in large part because of the relationship that Kenny and his mom had. Art loves stories like that. God, he had a million stories. You know, the, the player that signed for a stove because <laughs> the, the, the prospect's mom was trying to cook some cookies, trying to bake some cookies, you know, for the scout that was in visiting and the, the, the oven wouldn't work. So the scout, you know, transferred some of the bonus money and just said he'd buy her a stove. She said, sign right now to the kid. You know, there, there was one scout that, that had a meeting with a top prospect and another scout that was in town for, for the same prospect stole that scout's wooden leg. <laughs> uh, the, the scout with the wooden leg ended up signing the player anyway. Uh, th there was just a million stories like that, that that Art loved to tell. And there was always a purpose to them. You know, it, it was always to build connections. It was always to help you get some of that same joy that Art had. Look, we'd all be so lucky as to have a career like Art where we get to do something that we love and, and, and do it for so long, right? But I think we'd all also be lucky to continue to have that same attitude and gratitude for that job and for that work and for that life. And that to me is one of the most important things about art. That's, that's one of the things that I think about the most is just he never got tired of it. You know what I mean? Like he never, I'm sure he had bad days. I assume he had bad days. He's not an alien, but he never showed it. You know, I don't think anybody ever had a conversation with Art. You know, oh man, he didn't get much sleep last night. <laughs> you know what I mean? Or, you know, whatever. He had a bad day at the office. Art never had a bad day at the office. Look, there, there's a lot of stories that are going around the baseball world right now. And a lot of people who are saying some really incredible things about Art. And I know that, we all kind of have this tendency sometimes when somebody dies to sort of got them up a little bit, right? To whitewash any of the, the, the weaknesses or the negatives that they had and, and just focus and even amplify or embellish the strengths. But I'm telling you, everything that you ever hear about art is true. The guy was just different. He, uh, when he told these stories on the punchline, his voice would always crack. <laughs> And it was like, it was almost like he was surprised himself every time. I, I swear, you know, this kind of thing is probably made up, but I swear you could see like this twinkle in his eye as, as he told certain stories. Maybe I should have said this earlier. I wrote a book with Art. Some of you guys might know that. I'll never, like when he called me to ask if I would do it with him, I was just like honored. You know what I mean? That That a person like that would think of me in that way and and trust me with that story 
and want to talk to me as much as that required. And I'm telling you, that was the easiest book that anybody will ever write in their lives. I, I didn't write a book. I just talked to Art and recorded it and then wrote down what he said. <laughs> he like once there was a time where he's like, you know what? Like he read through it, you know, and um, he said a lot of nice things. He was like, you know, there's a there's a certain way that people talk. And he's like, you just captured that so well. And I was like, dude, Art, like I just wrote down what you said. <laughs> like These are literally your words. There was no, you know, they're like writing an autobiography with somebody can be a tricky thing because, uh, you know, the way people talk sometimes, but God art, it was just so straightforward and so easy to do. I, I know I get corny around baseball. I love baseball, but art represents a specific and pure part of baseball that I hope never leaves, you know? And I think it's why a lot of us fall in love with that sport in the first place. It is about optimism and it's about joy it's about positivity. It's about telling stories. You know, there's just, it's about art, you know, like that guy is just embodied baseball. I miss him, you know, I, already. And it'd been longer than, than I'd like to admit since we talked. And he lived such an incredible life, but I miss him. I wish I was able to talk to him one more time. God, what a guy. What a guy. Okay, guys, you know what? We're going to we're going to skip the spiel this week. You know what it's all about and you can you can do this stuff if you want. But I just wanted to talk a little bit about my friend. Okay, I promise the rest of the show will be uh, maybe (laughs) will be different. More more like normal, I guess. God bless you, Art. What a life. Okay, guys, we'll take a break. Hey, Sam, this is Tucker in Joplin, Missouri. I uh, tried to submit this for the uh, minutes uh, written column last week, uh, but it didn't. Uh, I don't think I made enough sense with it when I was writing it, or maybe you just didn't find it interesting enough, uh, which is fine. But I'm going to give you another shot here. And uh, the Chiefs uh, Green Bay game yesterday, I think, reinforces my thought a little bit. Is, do you think there's a, a, a way that if the Chiefs defense can continue to improve, that hopefully while the offense is coming along? Um, you know, if, it, if the offense does turn it around, and an optimist like me thinks they will, does it have a chance to make a uh, make for a better, more cohesive team? Um, and what I mean by that is, I, you know, a couple of years ago, uh, 2019, when Mahomes was hurt and the Vikings came to Arrowhead, and a lot of the defensive players were pissed after the game because a lot of Chiefs fans had sold their tickets to Vikings fans, and I think the Chiefs defense felt like, hey, okay, so we're not worth coming to watch. If Mahomes is out, you know, the, the Chiefs fans don't seem to want to watch it. So in football now, because always, you know, most teams have one side of the ball that's more dominant than the other. And certainly for the last few years in Kansas City, it's been the offense that's gotten all the attention and carried the load. What I'm getting at is that the defense can keep improving this. The fact that the defense knows, it doesn't matter what Mahomes says or Andy Reid's always said and compliment the defense, but if the defense actually knows, they know that they're a reason for some wins and help keep this thing together, that that just kind of anchors the whole team and lifts up the whole team in the end. And I still don't know if I'm uh, reaching out with my point correctly, but I hope you understand it, and I hope you include it uh, this week's uh, podcast. Thanks, Sam. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Hey, Tucker. Um, I Actually, I think this is a great point. Um, I think it's a really smart thing to say. Uh, maybe I'm just saying that because I agree with you. I don't know. Um, but yes, I, I think this stuff matters. I really do. 
And I don't want to get too far into the weeds of like a direct comparison to 2019, just because seasons are so different. But it's worth remembering that there could have been a divide in that locker room two years ago between the offense and the defense. There absolutely was a divide the previous year. You, you, you remember that. And it could have been going that way again during those two home games that Mahomes missed in 2019. You know, an Arrowhead Stadium turned at least 50-50 into Vikings and Packers fans. And I think we have pretty recent evidence that Packers fans will show up here no matter what, right? But a lot of guys on that defense justifiably felt – like fans were sort of bailing on the team. You know, they were a lot of fans sold their tickets because the guy they wanted to see wouldn't be playing. And it was a lot of factors all coming together at once. But I thought it was significant that Chris Jones was, you know, the one speaking on behalf of his teammates, um, you know, that saying that they didn't like that. They didn't appreciate that. But anyway, back to your point, like, yes, 100%. I, I think that the defense feeling like it won a game that year without Mahomes and, and the team as a whole seeing that it could beat a good team with the, without Mahomes. I think that that mattered. Um, and I think that made the Chiefs better long term. And so look, like, I don't know that that same thing can happen again. I don't know that it will happen again. Two different seasons, like we said, two different teams, all that stuff. But the offense has not been particularly good for more than a month. And the Chiefs have won three out of the last four. And it's because they've given up 13, 17, and 7 points in those games. The caveats, we all know, Washington, the Giants, Rodgers, those Packers, those are not offensive powerhouses. But NFL teams can only play the teams in front of them, right? And and there's also some real stuff happening here beneath the surface. This, this Raiders game on Sunday, it's going to be the biggest test since Tennessee. And before that, the Bills. And we know how those games went, right? And so I would say, like, absolutely everything is on the table, you know, like from – Derek Carr dicing up the secondary, um, or maybe the Chiefs, maybe this is like a get right game for them and they win by two scores. So, um, I don't know. I, I don't want to make this sound like a prediction because it isn't. And I don't think Tucker, I don't think Tucker means it that way either in his question. But yes, absolutely 100%. I think that what's gone on the last few weeks could be, could be, could be part of what brings out the best in this team as the season goes on. I really do. That possibility is on the table as well. Um, okay. Uh, here's another Chiefs question. Um, two Chiefs questions, actually. Okay. Full disclosure, I live in Olathe, but I'm I'm a Saints fan, but I, I'm not sure from Chiefs. Just a couple of thoughts I had over the weekend. And this seems way too early for this, but is there a space and a moment where the Mahomes contract is concerning? I'm saying, like, I don't think so. I mean, I think he's phenomenal, and I think he'll. This is just part of every, you know, even uh, unprecedented player's growth path. But is there a space for that? Second question I have is: Are Chiefs fans going to be quote unquote winning what they might be considered winning ugly? Because it seems like that's what's going to have to happen this year because teams are not letting them. When pretty thanks. So I, I certainly don't want to be talking for all Chiefs fans here. So this is just me, but I am a big believer in winning ugly. I think it's an incredibly useful and valuable skill, and it translates in all sports, right? And and I think even into real life, like you know, a baseball pitcher who can fight his command all night and still give you six innings, that guy is a stud, right? A a, a basketball player who loses his shooting touch but he still helps you win with defense or rebounding or ball movement or whatever stud. Um, or like in real life, like some of the best people in the world 
are the people who are on point and engaged and, you know, to borrow an Andy Reid term here, energy givers, even when they don't feel great or when something's off uh, in some other part of their life. So um, I, I definitely wouldn't sit here and dump on any NFL win. I've covered some bad Chiefs teams. I've watched some bad NFL teams. We all know how 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 hard this stuff is, but I think you have to sort of earn the right to say you're winning ugly. You know what I mean? Like you earn it by winning pretty, right? Like the the Chiefs really have not played what I would consider like their best game. Um, you know, or, or maybe another way of saying it is I don't think they've played what anyone would consider the best game or anything close to it from a team that's a legitimate Super Bowl threat. Like good teams can say that they won ugly. Um, but bad teams need to just say they got to win and be happy with it, right? So I think the Chiefs need to play well against a good opponent. You know, they, they need to win a game that makes you feel better about the team. Do stuff like that before we can give them a lot of credit for winning it less than their best. Because like at this point, if we're honest, like what's their best so far? You know what I mean? So now the other part of this, the Mahomes contract, look, his cap hit goes from $7.4 million this season to $35.8 million next season. And then up to $46.8 million the year after that. And it stays above $40 million for the rest of the deal. So look, contracts can be redone. Uh, and Mahomes' deal has a lot of opportunities to move money around. But this is money that they're going to be spending in the future that they aren't spending right now. So is it a concern? I mean, yeah, like you're effectively paying $28 million and then $39 million more, just an increase. $28 million more next year and $39 million more the year after that for the same player you have right now, right? So $28 million, that is more than the combined cap hit this season of Chris Jones and Tyron Matthew. $39 million is more than Jones, Matthew, and Travis Kelsey. So look, in fairness... The the cap is going to go way up next year and way, way up the year after that. And, you know, barring literal pandemics, it should keep going up as long as Americans enjoy watching football on television. So if it's a concern, I mean, like it's a concern that every team in the league would love to have. Right. Because it's a concern about having the league's best court. I still think this the league's best quarterback under long term control at a price that I think will soon not be the highest in the league. So. Look, the front office will have to be even better about keeping the books right. And the margins will be a little bit smaller when Mahomes is taking up 14% or whatever the cap compared to the Super Bowl year when he was taking up 2% of the cap. And, you know, this isn't the point, but, you know, someday there's going to be an interesting discussion to be had about the strategy of paying for quarterbacks and other star players. Cause, but anyway, that's for another day. Cause I think for now, the point is that the Chiefs, like every team in the league, they're going to need to continue to hit on draft picks like Legereus Sneen and be judicious about giving out big contracts because the quarterback is about to take up way more of the salary cap. But I think we're also under the understanding that this is a much better situation than paying a bad quarterback big money or even having a mediocre quarterback on a smaller deal. So the truth is that Mahomes still won't be making what he's worth to the Chiefs. You know, even when he's making $40 million a year, won't be making what he's worth to the Chiefs as a business or as a football team. So, um, you know, if it's a problem, you know, like the line of the wire, right? That's one of them good problems. So, um, okay. Uh, one more question. Um, this one from Brad. Hey, Sam. This is Brad calling from Springfield, Missouri. Um, as you and other media members have mentioned, it can be hard to get 
a truthful and honest answer from NFL teams, executives, coaches, players, that kind of thing. So my question for you is, if you had truth serum and only able to use it on one member of the Kansas City Chiefs organization, who would it be and what are the top two or three questions you would ask them? Uh, thanks. Bye. Yeah. Um, look, I love this question. You probably, you guys probably know that. And I love this question for a lot of reasons. Um, I do think it's possible to get closer to the truth when you're able to talk to people alone or on the phone. And I actually think that to whatever extent I've been able to build relationships with people around town over these years, uh, it's been in those moments, you know, or maybe by word of mouth, like whatever. But I think people need to know that you're not going to twist what they say. They need to know that you care more about, you know, getting to the truth than some sort of like takey take that is all taked for attention. You know what I mean? Um, but really, I'm not answering your question with any of this, am I, Brad? Um, okay. So to answer your question, let me say this. Um, and I don't know if this is cheating, but my answer is Clark Hunt <laughs> every day and six times on Sunday. I would ask him more questions than I probably should about 2012, um, about Scott Pioli, about what he thinks he missed and how much of missing it had to do with him not living here. I would ask him what his plan B was in 2013 if Andy Reid didn't come here. I'd ask him if in hindsight, how fully prepared he felt to take over for his dad in the late aughts. I'd ask, you know, what unique contributions he thinks owners make to football, to the NFL, and whether he thinks the CBA and revenue split currently on the books is fair to players. I'd ask him a lot about his pretty wild place in life. You know, he is the son of a billionaire who was also the son of a billionaire. And I wonder if he like just internally struggles with, you know, sort of the inevitable comparisons to a father's legacy. He loves his dad, but the inevitable comparisons to a legacy he knows he can't match, you know, and about what he thinks was broken when he took over the club and what he thinks he does better than his dad. Um, I'd ask him, I know this is a weird question, but I'd ask him how many people in the country, if they had the money, but how many people in the country are equipped with the character traits and the intelligence and that kind of thing to be, to run an NFL team more successfully than the average owner in the league today? You told me I'd get truth serum, right? Um, I think I'd also ask him what he wishes the league did differently around concussions. Um, you know, who his least favorite owner is, um, and I, I just wonder like what he think what what he gains and what he loses by living in Dallas. I, look, I'm telling you guys right now, this is a conversation I would very much like to have. Um, God, I would love to have that. Honest Clark, let's go. Um, okay, guys, uh, that's the questions. Uh, one more break, and then we're back with the bonus section. Okay, guys, uh, let's finish strong. And the bonus section, I I might blow this out into a column next week. Uh, I'm still trying to figure that out. Um, but I just keep thinking about how the Chiefs, and look, maybe Sunday night is going to prove me wrong, but I just keep thinking that the Chiefs are just not the mess that many people seem to believe that they are. And, and we have this recent precedent um, that we talked about a little bit earlier from 2019. I just, the, the human mind just works in a weird way way you know and look i'm as guilty as anybody else on this but it's just wild to me like how short our memories tend to be you know 
And now we constantly believe that like whatever's happening at any particular moment is what's going to happen forever going forward. You know, like the clearest example I have of this goes back to 2014 in July. And at that point, Dayton Moore and his front office, they were about eight years into it and they had one winning season. They had no playoff appearances. They had what looked like a promising season, um, you know, in 2014 had dipped below 500. They had a particularly rough stretch in July. And I wrote a column around that time, July 2014, that basically said that without a major turnaround the rest of the season, there would have to be some tough decisions and probably some big changes made. You know, people would be fired. And the reaction to that column was like white fire. And I mean, a lot of people were (laughs) really angry at me for not saying that Dayton and Ned and everybody else in the organization needed to be, you know, not just fired yesterday, but fired and dragged to Casey Live for people to like gather and throw tomatoes at them. You know what I mean? And look, you know what happened the rest of that season in 2014, right? Like the Royals got within one swing of winning the World Series. And I, I guess I'm like petty enough to remember the names of, but not quite petty enough to name them here publicly. But there were a lot of people around town, including people who get t- paid to talk about sports, who were mad at me for not wanting people fired in July, but by September, October of that year, like had amnesia and pretended that they were always on board, you know? And I'm just bringing this up because I think history might be repeating itself a little bit right now, or at least the opportunity. The Chiefs are five and four, and they are not close to the team that a lot of us expected. Um, And while, like, I don't think I've seen anyone with credibility or a big following or anything like that call for anyone other than Dan Sorensen to be fired, like, I do think we're getting close to a situation where people are thinking that the season is a waste when, in fact, everything remains in front of the Chiefs. And so anyway, with that in mind, I went down a sort of rabbit hole this week uh, trying to find things that people were saying exactly two years ago. Um, after the Chiefs lost to the Titans, they fell to six and four, um, which would be the Chiefs record if and if, if, if. But that would be the Chiefs record if they beat the Raiders this weekend. Stuff was pretty funny. And I referenced some of it. Um, you know, I might reference some of it in the column, but I wanted to play it for you here. I just it, this is this is good stuff. Um, all right. Here's Kyle Brandt. Um, on Good Morning Football after the Chiefs lost to the Titans. Yeah, I mean, they've lost four or six games. Like, Mahomes can't just jump past your way out of real problems. It's great highlights. Nicole and Tyreek was crazy yesterday. The reason it's real problems is because of expectations. They want to win a Super Bowl. They're not about getting to the playoffs. They want to win a Super Bowl, and they beat us with that defense. The Vikings last week, what they did to Aaron Rodgers, like, maybe the Chiefs defense is finally decent. They were not decent yesterday. They're not going anywhere. And here's Colin Coward. And look, like, to be fair, I know that this is what Coward does. He throws stuff out there that he may or may not believe. Like, his job is literally to get a reaction from people one way or the other. But he had a really big week on this, you guys. And I'm not playing the clip where he says the the Chiefs are built to get Mahomes MVP awards but not Super Bowl rings um, just because I thought this clip was a little bit funnier. Um, Okay, here it is. But I was thinking this morning, the eight biggest games in Patrick Mahomes' career, AFC Championship lost. AFC Division Round 1. Monday Night Football against the Rams game moved from Mexico lost. Uh, against New England, Sunday Night Football lost. In Seattle, Sunday Night Football lost. That Thursday night game against the Chargers with playoff implications lost. This year, Mahomes against Deshaun Watson. That was the game we were like, oh, that's the game of the weekend. Lost. And Sunday Night Football against the Colts when we were shocked. Jacoby Brissett went in there, ball control lost. One and seven in your eight biggest games. 
Yes, you blow out bad teams. Yes, you're unbeaten in September. Yes, you can throw the ball and not look. I get it. I need you to win more games against TV games. You know, we, we always roll our eyes at Kirk Cousins, and we all know Mahomes is better than Kirk Cousins, but you got to start winning those Sunday games and the Thursday games and the standalone games and the pressure games. you got to start winning those games. Kansas City doesn't win those enough, and so they're out of my Super Bowl bubble. What was that? That was, that was one bubble. And then the last one we're going to play for you, and, I mean, this might be a little gratuitous because um, I have to be honest, I don't know the fella's name here who's talking, but the words here from uh, the Worldwide Sports Radio Network, I mean, this is just, this is too good not to play. Um, check this out. The Raiders have a longer Super Bowl window than the Chiefs, as presently constituted. Have we realized how reliant this team is on Patrick Mahomes? The Chiefs throw the ball a ton. They can't run the football, and they can't stop anybody on defense. This is why I'm concerned about their future. What happens when you have to pay Patrick Mahomes $40 million? You know how much cap space they have? $1.5 million. You're telling me I shouldn't be a little bit concerned about Kansas City? The Raiders' Super Bowl window is open. They have cap space, draft picks, and players under reasonable contracts. Derek Carr is under contract for $25 million per year, and they have $50 million and $83 million in cap space over the next two seasons. They run the ball well. Josh Jacobs is a stud. Carr is accurate. They have a young developing defense, a good old line. The Raiders are in a really good spot, and I think it's a better spot than the Chiefs at this point. You guys, how good is that, right? Um, so, again, look. Keep in mind that with a win on Sunday, the Chiefs will have, you know, the same record that they had when people were saying these things about them two years ago, you know, and, and that was a few months before they won the Super Bowl. So, look, let, let me be triple sure that I'm clear here. This is not me saying the Chiefs are about to start their Super Bowl push. Um, I don't know, and the burden of proof is on them. What I'm just trying to do is point out that as sports fans, we have this way of, like, convincing ourselves that we know a lot more than we do. And that the future is a lot more predictable than it really is. Um, look, it, would I bet on the Chiefs to make the Super Bowl? No, probably not. Um, but I also think the offense just played a game with no turnovers and is basically just waiting on Patrick Mahomes to be himself again. And I think that's a pretty good bet. You know, the defense has been really good lately. And, you know, and look, there's, again, caveats about the Giants, the the Washington the, the no Rodgers Packers, all that stuff. But there's also some structural changes in that defense that give that stuff a little bit more credibility, you know? And I'm not just talking here about Melvin Ingram and Frank Clark looking strong, Chris Jones wrecking the interior again, but the changes at linebacker, adding more speed, um, you know, fewer snaps in coverage for Dan Sorensen. There's just, there's a lot of stuff going on here that I think can be seen as legit. So again, like, I don't know, but I guess that's the point here. Like, none of us know. Um, even when we try to convince ourselves that we do know, right? All right, guys, um, that's the show. Um, thanks to everybody for calling in, even those that we couldn't get to. Thanks to Monty Davis for putting this all together. And as always, the biggest thanks to you for joining and letting us be a small part of your life. Um, all right, guys, have a great weekend. Be kind. Right.